0: listeners welcome to the show today i've got a special surprise for you i have managed after asking and asking for quite a while to score an interview with a person who i see as such a role model for the kink community some of you will probably know him some of you may not but he is just he's everywhere really if you know kink community if you're in line with the social media channels then this is a person who is in no way scared of showing his face. He is the face of Recon, also known as AJFS71 or Antoine. Now we've actually been on the show before with Antoine, but this time I wanted to ask him about his life and how he got to be in the place he is. So let's get straight into it. Hope you enjoy the interview. Hello Antoine, so good to actually connect with you today.
1: Really good. And thank you for getting up in the morning as well.
0: Yeah, no problem. I just want to say thanks for speaking about parts of you which is going to be exposed and shown to the world. And
1: it's it is a real process to be this open and transparent. It is definitely going to be. And there's one thing I'm very thankful for. My mother will not be listening to this. Podcast. <laughs> well, have we got a surprise for
0: you, Antoine? <laughs> <laughs> So I've, um, I I really want to get to know you. It's it's part of my uh, process is to really try and understand where people who I admire have, how they got to where they are and just more about them and what they go through. So I've made a list of questions and I'd like to just ask you them and see how, see how we go. Is that all right?
1: Let's see how we go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I want to kind of go back in time a bit and just understand, uh, your, if you can talk more about your process into kink itself and how you started that journey
1: i think it's probably been a journey that's started over a number of years you know as time got on and as i got older i realized that there were certain things i can remember very vividly from my childhood my teenage years from coming out at 18 and you know sexually exploring in my early 20s um and just being kind of open-minded and liberal. And I was always, you know, did the impression I was a very good Catholic boy shopping at Banana Republic and The Gap. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, have any kinky or fetishy things I mean I knew what they were and I knew kinky fetishy people especially during the time when you know Mm -hmm. I lived in New York for a number of years Um, it was around everywhere and I had friends who were into it but it never kind of personally got me but I liked the intrigue Mm -hmm. that was associated with it and I think for many people there was always this element of the Unspoken, the hidden things that we enjoy that nobody else likes. And I know how much it means for certain people, too, to have this kind of private club, this underground club that you belong to, where these kind of interesting and fun sexual things happen. And I don't think I ever thought of myself as being kinky or fetishy. I just thought these were things that, like, spiced up my very vanilla sex life. And I enjoyed them very much. And I don't Mm. think it was until you might laugh, but I think I kind of like accidentally fisted someone when I was 25 for the first time, if I can call it that. I mean, because I was so naive. I didn't even realize a hand could get up there and at 25, I didn't know this. So that was probably one of my first major things. And then in my early thirties, um, I had a partner who also wanted to explore some interesting bits. And one of my best friends I discovered when I moved to London was very much a rubber guy, a fetish fetishy guy. And he decided to take me out and show me his scene. And I thought, this looks kind of interesting and fun. And I like these uninhibited people that are around just enjoying themselves and really living their best sex lives. Um, and I'm guessing that I would have to admit that Mark is probably responsible, who was my best friend at the time, was probably responsible for the beginning of my King journey because he was the first person to introduce me to a real hardcore fetish club. And that was here in London. And it's interesting, that was 23, almost 24 years ago. So that was in March 2000, end of March, early April 2000, when I moved here. And it's interesting because I connected with some people then that I'm still in touch with now to this day. So I think that's where my kink journey kind of began.
0: Yeah, and it speaks to how strong the kink community can be. You know, if we're still saying we're friends with these people who were the entry points into these parts of us, me too, I've shared friendships which have spanned long periods of time because kink can be such a personal thing and such a liberating act when you do it but there is a sense of uh, for me at least shame that has i've had to work through in terms of my own interests and what i'm into and i'm wondering if during that process of you coming into your own kink if there has been any kind of shame or hesitation around uh, your your sexual journey
1: I think maybe a little bit of shame and a little bit of hesitation as well. You know, I come from primarily an entertainment background. My family is very well known back at home. And I guess the first bit of what I would call my shame would be like I was afraid for people to know. You know, I come from a very religious country, you know, where there is this definite stigma attached to, oh, you know, this is the people who do evil practice this kind of sex, blah, 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 that kind of thing. So I had this very big sense of shame about the things I sexually enjoyed. And I was afraid that other people would find out, even sometimes people I worked with. And it took... A few years before, I remember one night at the end of my show. I was in the West End for a number of years in one of the top shows. And I remember one night at the end of my show just trying to wait until everybody left the dressing room so I could shower and get into some gear because I wanted to go out so badly. And then there was a knock on the dressing room door. There's me in my leather chaps and a leather vest trying to cover it up with something. And in walks one of the other, you know, dancers in the show. And her face just said everything. And then very quickly, she was like, wait a minute, you're into this? I was like, yeah, she goes, of course you would be. Like, we all expected <laughs> you would be. And I don't know why I would assume that people would think this of me or otherwise think that I wouldn't be. But it was, you know, I was really afraid to be open about it. And I guess in years of exploring, one of my hesitation uh, becomes, you know, I'm not... Um, I don't have a very addictive personality. But, you know, every once in a while, we find these little gems of things that we really enjoy. And sometimes there are things we can enjoy to such a degree that we also let go to such a degree. And there was also the shame and hesitation around doing something that people kept telling me I shouldn't be doing. But I was enjoying so much and I was afraid that I enjoyed these one or two particular elements so much, and I was afraid of how what would happen if I really released and if I really let go. You know, there are some kinky things. I also, I think, over the years, I've surprised myself with some things that I really enjoy. I'm thinking, like, oh my god, I can't do this too <laughs> often. I have to really be careful with who, with who I allow myself to be open with or with who I allow myself to explore this with, you know, because I think when you're exploring with kink, there has to be this kind of element of trust between two people and I think you have to for me personally anyway, I have to really know someone to enjoy a particular type of kink or fetish Um, and that was where my hesitancy comes in. If I don't really know someone that well, mm, I don't explore and I don't open, I don't relax so much.
0: Yeah. That's right it's I think the the Dom sub or the BdSM uh, uh, mindset is incredibly intimate. So connecting with people on that level requires a lot of trust and connection that you have to work with. you know, there's some things that I too am so aroused by, but I wouldn't do it with any Joe Blow, you know with any random person. Yep. I have to redevelop that connection, which is part of the the greatness about it, but also it makes it a bit more difficult because it is hard to find people and develop and have the time to develop those connections. Um, so we've we've spoken about a few things. You've mentioned fisting, You mentioned rubber. You mentioned leather. I'm wondering if there is a primary, a, ra- a primary fetish that arouses you, the the most fundamental one that you think when I see this or when I do this, it just gets me.
1: I mean, if if anyone has ever looked at my, you know, I've written it on my Recon profile before, and it's also like the header, in on my Twitter page or my ex page um, and it has been there for ages and I don't think I will ever change it and this is the fetish of um, Odoxalania, which is the fetish of biting biting really is my number one it is the thing wow. that gets me immediately and I know it's not for everyone um, and I know that many people don't understand it but I remember the first time meeting somebody else who was into it and I thought oh my god this is really a thing i just thought i kind of like biting i never knew that it was a fetish it had a proper name that there was a flag for it which is the hound's tooth print it's the flag for the fetish of biting um but it is the thing that absolutely gets me and i think it's also one of those things where there has to really be this elephant this element of trust you know because i'm not letting anybody put (laughs) their teeth on me you know it's not gonna happen this way um yeah. and it's the same I won't do it to anyone there has to be this kind of reciprocal energy um you know because there's the trust there's the the domination part the submissive part and I think especially when I'm engaged in biting I've I've also discovered how dominant I could actually be wow. and it occasionally does kind of terrify me that i enjoy it so much well i do but this is the thing that gets me instantly
0: yeah that's 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 really good in season four of my podcast any myself work with different people to try and identify maybe where things began in their earlier years and i'm wondering just we won't go this too much because it's a whole other episode but where do you think biting came from in your development in your in your growth
1: i i (laughs) I can remember back as far as being five or six years old in first grade. There was a kid I went to school with. His name was Gavin. And we were like best mates. And I don't know why, but we would walk home from school together. Like we lived not far away from where the school was. And I think one day we were like just kind of like playing around. And, you know, I bit his arm. And every day we would walk home and he would hold his arm out and I would bite his arm oh. and then he would run off and go home. And that became wow. our little like signature thing. I remember it so vividly. I can see this little boy holding his arm out for me to bite. And then I, yeah. we would both run home. Yeah. And, you know, but it's not until years later that it kind of manifested. And I went, oh, my God, I've been biting since I was five years old. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's uh, turning me on since five.
0: Yeah, and I can I can kind of weave in the importance of trust for you because biting does require trust. I'm just picturing these two boys at that age uh, walking home and, you know, for another person to hold out their arm to bite, there is a trust element there. So I'm wondering if that kind of stems from that point. But it really, that's it, actually really touches me. I don't know why. It's very touching, that story, because it's there's so much innocence and purity in that moment, you know, but of course it carries on.
1: I think completely because I think we were both – unaware that this was anything apart from a bond between two boys who were at the time just best friends, you know, and I'm not sure where or how the biting started or what the significance of it was initially, but it became our, you know, like our handshake, our hug. Instead of that, we had a, he would hold his arm out and I would bite his arm and then we would both run and skip off home.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a way to yeah. connect. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's there's this and then so you're exploring your sexuality and your your kinks and then all of a sudden um, recon comes into the picture. How does recon
1: come? What what happens? Oh, the joining yeah. recon. Oh, T-101, the company of the West for Recon was a complete fluke. I never expected it would ever happen. You know, I was in the West End for some years. I had an injury. I was taking a break between productions and ended up doing a job for a producer from America that I worked with before. She was here producing um, an event at Wembley, something for 80,000 people. She said, I want someone as anal as I am to work with me. And I can't think of anyone else but you. So (laughs) I worked with her as the, you know, her assistant uh, for this event And she's like, you're really good at this. You should think about, um, you know, becoming an events manager. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be on stage jumping around and kicking my legs in the air until I can't move anymore. Like, this is not going (laughs) to happen. And of course, my rehab took a little bit longer than I thought. um, And I kept doing more and more events. And then I just thought I kind of like the idea of I can have dinner at seven o'clock on a Wednesday and I can sleep in on a Saturday morning. Um, I'm going to investigate this. And so I applied, put my CV together, applied for a job as events manager, got hired eventually for some company. And I was about to be shipped off to Moscow um, to work for this uh, event production company. They were UK based, but they had offices in Moscow, Tokyo uh, and Sydney. And I went out to celebrate, chatted to this guy I met in one of the first uh, fetish outings I went to in 2000. It's like, oh, you're still dancing? No, I'm, you know, now doing events. I just took a job. Um, I'm moving to Russia in two weeks. It was the end of a bad relationship. I couldn't wait to get out of London and leave that whole shit behind me. And he's like, well, this company I work for, they're looking for an events guy. You should maybe apply. And I thought, no, I'm leaving in two weeks. I want to get out of here. Nothing. And I was like, what is it? What does the company you work for? Oh, it's called Recon. Never heard about Recon before, mm. which was kind of strange because I'd been living in London at this point for about six years. Um, and he picked up one of the magazines. We were inside Comptons. He picked up one of the magazines and there was an ad on the back. So I took it home, looked it up online, Recon.com. And I was like, oh, my God. Why have I never seen or heard about this thing before? So mm. I sent an email. I thought, well, I'm leaving anyway. Can't lose anything by interviewing. Went in the next day for the interview. Lasted 45 minutes. Lots of questions. When I left, they called me about uh, a half an hour after I walked out of the office. We'd like to offer you the job. And if you're interested, um, your first task is to find a flight in a hotel and meet us in Berlin tomorrow. And that was September 2006. And the event was Folsom Europe and Pig Berlin so it was literally a baptism by fire from one day to the next and this was a complete eye opener for me because I never knew there were so many thousands of people who were interested in the same thing that I was or that actually lived or enjoyed this lifestyle if I would call it that or had this kind of sexual proclivity I mean I knew that there were kinky people around but I never knew it was to this number yeah and at the end of the weekend i thought this is definitely something i would love to explore this yeah. sounds really great and i called the other company and i said i'm sorry but i've been offered another job and i've decided to take it and stay in london and you know i wish you guys well thank you very much for the opportunity have a nice day and there began my really interesting career with um t101 and working with recon
0: yeah that's fantastic and i've what i've liked because that's about uh, 18 years now how long is that
1: Almost eighteen years. Almost
0: eighteen years. And what I've liked about this is that when I listen to your podcast, there's still an enthusiasm around what you do. You know, it doesn't doesn't show that you've lost interest, etc. There's still a passion and a commitment to this kind of work. So it's very impressive that after eighteen years, almost eighteen years, you can say that this is something which I I just really love doing.
1: Um, and working really good. You know, I started out as the events manager, and now I'm the brand manager and i think the passion comes from you know i see the potential if i see potential in something i'm investing in it i can see the potential i invest in it i love what i do i love meeting the people sometimes they're a little bit crazy i don't love meeting everyone but i like meeting most yeah, people. yeah that's just people <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> so we all have our own things yeah so working for recon you've um had a so working for Recon you have a particular advantage point where you can see the community and over you know, almost 18 years, I'm wondering how or if there's any one or two things in particular about the commu- the kink community that's changed from when you began to where it is now I and mean, there may be positive or negative and also technology may have played a role in the shaping of community.
1: Ooh, I think so much has changed. You know, I think at one point there were always these elements of you went out. I'll give you an example. I was telling talking to somebody in Hamburg a few weeks ago about the first time I went to one of these big parties in the big electrical warehouse in East Berlin. I went to a party there. And, well, let's just say I went to snacks. And snacks used to have such a strict dress code. Mm. And I remember those weekends of people coming to Berlin. Everybody would go out, they would shop, and they would spend all their money buying the most gear they possibly could. And you couldn't get in the space unless you were geared up from head to toe. And over the years, this has kind of become... I would hate to have to say watered down, but I think that's what it is. It has become watered down a bit and it's not so gear heavy anymore. There are lots of people who gear up, but it has turned, in my opinion, from you know one of the absolute top fetish events that people couldn't wait to go to. And I think it's become a little bit more circuity now. now. Um, and I know a lot of other people who also feel the same way, but I think that transition has had to happen because of the way that Um, we explore and celebrate sexual freedom, body positivity. This is all changing now. And I think, of course, as people come into and out of the scene, the dynamic also changes, the energy changes, um, and what people feel comfortable wearing changes. And But what I would say is at the same time, I've seen also a little bit of a shift that the people who still really like this intense type of gear event have moved on to something else. But that seems to have become a much smaller crowd, a much smaller community of people that really like the intense gear. And I think another change would be, it, it seems, you know, there's been so, such a shift in the fetish community. We have to, or we had to become much more open to allowing entry points, let's say, for people who enjoy different types of those so people who had different types of gear. We had to create these entry points. And the only way in was to kind of open the gates a bit. You know we did a podcast a little while ago on gatekeeping and somebody said something to me that was very interesting that sometimes there is a reason for gatekeeping and that positive gatekeeping helps us to protect the integrity of certain things that we really enjoy like the hardcore leather events or like the hardcore bluff events the skin events the hardcore rubber parties the people who really appreciate the full gear but there is also a space for having a type of event where people can wear any type of fetish gear that they like as little or as much as they like. And we shouldn't exclude those either. So that has definitely been something that has been a major change. And there's always this thing of people saying, oh, the leather scene is dying. I can say as someone who travels a lot, it's not dying. it's not dying at all. I think what's happening is there's a shift that people seem to now be enjoying and exploring with different types of gear. And I think there's also an element now where with, um, you know, being so sex positive, a lot of people also now start to explore more and more um, sex outside of gear. You know, for many people, the gear is still quite absolutely necessary. The gear is the thing that turns them on, that gets them hard, that gets the nipples pointing, Mm -hmm. you know, that gets their holes twitching. Yeah. Um, but for many people exploring other types of sexual play have realized that we can actually also enjoy this without the gear. So in some respects, I think the gear has become less and less necessary, but it's also interesting to go out to events and see people still shopping. One of the things I like is also, uh, and I think the rubber community has done this really well and it's to embrace color. Yeah. And that has been a major change. There are some steadfast, rubber-should-be-black people that I know, but I celebrate with the other people who have integrated color into their pink and fetish lives because I think it just makes it more interesting. That's yeah. also been a really nice shift. And I think one of the biggest is the growth of social spaces. You know, mm-hmm. as much as people like their play and their sexual things and all the other bits, something that we've seen that has become a lot more prevalent or popular and there's a lot more demand for creating these types of events where there are social spaces where people can just hang out and chat and mix with other you know like-minded kingsters. um and i think the biggest one we are all bracing for will be this point of inclusivity where we start allowing um more trans folk um, yeah. you know, yeah. and more queer folk into the events. This is something that is is becoming a major, major shift. And lots of events are starting to change. Organisations are changing. Contests are changing. So it has been a constant evolution, I think, right throughout the, you know, nearly 18 years that I've worked with. And yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised by these changes, and I'm sure there will be more to come. Yeah. Is there anything you think
0: that we need to work on a bit more? Maybe it is this, the trends... Integration, but is there anything else or yeah, that you think maybe you need to work on more with the community? I'd like to
1: see more. I I think I'd like to see a bit more discussion about just what people's interpretations or definitions of inclusivity actually means. It's a word that people throw around quite a lot, but then you suddenly introduce something into the space and You know, the naysayers come up, the counselors come up. No, not allowed. The space is not for them. Well, if you want to be inclusive, you have to think about how they're going to fit into the space. Or are we going to end up creating, you know, 100 spaces for every different kink or every different fetish, which I don't think is really the right answer. So I would love to see these conversations continue to happen for us to start defining or shaping what the inclusivity and what the future of our spaces and the people we play with is going to look like and just how we're going to get you know more trans folk um to enjoy the same types of kink and fetishes that we do
0: yeah no definitely agree
1: i've got um maybe two or
0: three quick round questions okay so uh there's three questions here that i'd like to ask um so just first thing that comes to mind first thing is what's arousing you recently
1: Seeing my boyfriend in chastity.
0: Okay. Yeah, so fantastic. And a second one what kinks or trends are you curious about?
1: Breath play. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. And what kinks or trends are you a bit reluctant about?
1: Can I give this the same answer twice? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> just take a deep breath and think about it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, actually, that's a very good point because it can be the same thing, you know.
1: It's the same, and I would yeah, only yeah. say breath play again because it's something that really intrigues me that I really like. But I understand that there's an uh, there's an element of potential for danger there. Definitely. Which I think yeah. anyone who's involved in it or, you know, engaging in it should be absolutely aware of, you yeah. know, and my knowledge is quite limited and, you know, but I'm not someone to play beyond my knowledge. Um, yeah. And I'm happy to, you know, put my hand up and go, no, that's not me. I don't know anything about that. I can't go there. Not my thing. Doesn't yeah. do me at all. You know,
0: actually, I shared that. I met uh, someone recently who was into breath play and I... It's the one, I mean, there's probably other places I don't know about, but it was. it's the one place that's definitely in my mind that I am scared to entertain because I did try it and I thought, am I going to do something devastating here or not? So yeah. it's really reluctant to yeah. participate in that. But yeah, I have I like the idea, of I can see the um, arousal around it.
1: I do. Well, a lot of King plays also about confidence. And I, I think for anyone, if you don't feel that you're confident enough to engage in something, then it's best to let your hesitation take over pull back yeah. step back rethink you know talk to someone find someone who knows so that's i think that's going to probably be the next step but it's also going to be more important okay. to um, basically talk to the boyfriend the fiance and see whether or not it's something that intrigues him as well yeah
0: i'm actually just curious that we will finish maybe on this question how has um kink and your relationship developed has there been work on that or has it been quite out of the box let's just do this
1: it has been very interesting, you know, uh, and he says to me, you know, when I first met you, I thought, Oh, I'm meeting the recon guy. This is like the kingster, blah, blah, blah. Because when we first met, he didn't know what my job was. He just saw me out as a rubber guy, blah, 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 and then found out. And he thought he had struck king gold. Um, you know, but there's this also interesting thing that maybe people are aware of or maybe not, you know, sometimes when you work around it all day, all the time, when I get done, like, Boyfriend, I love you, but I am not coming home to get rubbed up. My ass is tired. I want cotton. I want sofa. I want to go to bed. So we have had to have some discussions about this dynamic to make sure that we actually fit in the asking time. It doesn't happen as often as we'd like, but we kind of make sure that we do get some elements in. Or sometimes it's also just even in our everyday, um, you know, sexual lives. Uh, there are always little elements or little things that sometimes are introduced. Um, but I think uh, it's about to be wrapped up. So that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 And that's a good
0: way to end it as well, to wrap it up. <laughs> Antoine, it's been absolutely fantastic to have this conversation and get to know you a bit more. I know I've heard you on an often different part. I know I've heard different parts of you on off in different episodes, but it's just nice to get to know you. You have the spotlight. You mentioned conversations before and allowing inclusivity through conversations, and I just want to say that you are a huge part of that process in us talking more about these issues, which really affect primal and important parts of all of us. So I want to thank you and the team, because I know it takes a team to, to run a village, but you've done so well in arriving to all these interviews and in recon and also all these events in a very non-judgmental, committed curious mind space and th- those are the ingredients that we need to kind of continue these conversations and allow space for this growth. So just thank you so sincerely from the bottom of my heart and I'm sure many listeners as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: And thank you too for actually giving me this opportunity and for challenging me to open up as well, especially before I finish my coffee. And maybe the coffee is sitting here getting cold. I'm gonna have to heat this up and take it down and <laughs> take it as well and relax again. So Michael, huge, huge thank you to you for putting me through my paces. That's actually left me quite a lot to think about. And I think, you know, there's always we want to try to, you know, leave some parting word or parting thought. And I think it always it's taking me back now to stress the importance of, you know, exercising hesitance, you know, and for any king play that you're involved in. If you're unsure, unaware, um, feeling uneasy, um, hesitate, because you could be doing yourself harm or doing somebody else harm. And I don't think anybody wants that. This is not our version of, you know, encouraging what we would call self-play or informed play, you know. So do your research, talk to someone who knows Uh, and hesitate so um, before I go I'd like to put out just a little reminder that as it's December um, listeners there are two things that we're celebrating this month Um, we launched our World AIDS Day campaign on Friday the 1st and if you haven't yet seen any of the information we've put out about it please check your Recon home feed or the socials for the link Um, it's been a cherished project by the company for just over 17 years and on behalf of everyone here at Recon I'd like to say a massive thank you to all the members who continue to support this campaign Um, you know the support that you give to the beneficiaries who are out there doing the research and the boots on the ground points of contact you know for all the people fighting with AIDS and fighting to end the stigma and to provide care it's really really essential Um, so thank you to all of you for supporting this campaign and also in December we're celebrating Christmas time I know that everyone doesn't celebrate Christmas so I would just say happy holidays. Michael, I'd like to say thank you very much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and I look forward to our next interview. And thank you uh, for listeners as well. I hope you guys found this interesting. Bye for now. Bye-bye, everyone.